You could hear the people milling about the temple courts that morning. As they were hustling and bustling around, people were coming from all over the place to gather there together. You had friends that were reuniting that hadn't seen each other in a while, maybe in a year or more. And the laughter you could hear as they caught up on how their families were doing. They were discussing all the things that had happened over over the last couple of months. The things that were so life-changing and so, so crazy. They were just milling it over and you could hear this buzz. But see, all sorts of devout Jews had made the journey. They had made this trek from every single nation they possibly could to make their way back to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate. After all, it's Shabbat. It's the Feast of Weeks. It's one of the temple feasts, and and they're celebrating the day that Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai. This was a day of celebration to remember this historic event that took place. But little did they know before the day was out, this too would be historic day of epic proportions. The disciples were there. It was about 9 o'clock. They were all hanging out together in this temple court as they had been doing frequently and regularly when it happened. All of a sudden, the sound of something that sounded like a, a violent wind made its way all the way through and into the temple and was in there. And all of a sudden, these, these things that looked like pillars, like tongues of fire, started to rest on the heads of the disciples. And then they began to speak. The Holy Spirit filled them and they began to speak, not only in their own tongues, but now they started to speak in language that they hadn't even known before. And as they spoke, they spoke of the wonders of God. And as the people from all over began to hear these wonders spoken in their own language, they were flabbergasted. What in the world does this mean? Well, there's always some cynics in the crowd, someone that's always going to kind of make fun of the moment. They said, wait a second, aren't these Galileans? This is the fishing town people? Ah, they must have had too much wine. They got to be drunk. Come on. And that's when Peter stood up and began to speak. And if you know Peter, there must have been those in the crowd who went, No! No, Peter, no, not Peter. No, Peter, anybody, come on, what are the the other 12? One of you guys say something, please. Not Peter. Are you kidding me? No, no, anybody, oh, Peter, stop. Why would they think this? Because this is Peter. Peter was just a fisherman, right? Peter was just a normal, everyday guy that started out. Sure, he had his high point. Yes, he walked on water. Kind of a big deal. No one else has ever done it. I've seen Mark Schaefer do it behind a boat with no skis on, but I had to pull him like 30 miles an hour in order to get that going. Peter's walked on water. He's got this high point for sure. But remember, this is the guy who corrected Jesus. This is the one that said, okay, listen, Jesus, I I see the plan that you've got here. Let me tell you how it should go. Are you kidding me? He corrects Jesus. And what was Jesus' response to that? Get behind me, Satan. If that's not one of the top three slams of all time, worst things that you would ever want Jesus to hear, that's got to be like right there, right? Get behind me, Satan. Ow. Yeah. And not only that. This is the guy who not too long ago denied him three times. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. And what did Peter say? Oh, I'm never going to deny. I would die first before I would deny you. I would never do that. 
And then he does. Not once, not twice, three times Peter denies him as he's on his way to the cross to die for Peter. This is the guy that has perpetual foot and mouth disease. He constantly is putting his foot in his mouth. He's the speak first, think later guy. I can kind of relate with him. And he's going to get up and speak. Oh, anybody but Peter, right? And yet, in this moment, Peter steps up and steps out like never before. Let me listen. Let me read to you what what Peter says here. Because Peter gets up in Acts 2, verses 14 through 16. And this is what he says. Peter says this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. And he raised his voice. And he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the last days of God. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And Peter begins giving this amazing, uh, this amazing gospel presentation. He, he sits there and he goes into this and, and he, he, he totally gives this gospel presentation and he absolutely nails it. He confidently and succinctly proclaims the good news of Jesus and who he was and what he had done to not just a couple of people in a room, to thousands of people. I know in scripture it says that they were gathered together in a house. You know whose house they were gathered? It's not the upper room where they had this meal. It is the house of the Lord. It is the temple. That is what it's referred to as. So thousands of people gathered from all over the place and he nails it. It's awesome. And not only that, he then boldly calls them out and says, you killed Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah who has been sent, you killed him. And it says that his message as he proclaims this gospel, that, that it says it cuts them to their heart. Cuts them to the quick. They, 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 they reach out and they're like, well, well, what do we do? What should we do? And then he tells them, eloquently. He says, repent. This is what you need to do. You need to repent and now be baptized in the name of Jesus. And it says 3,000 of them that day are baptized in the fountains in the temple. 3,000 of them are baptized that day. And the church is launched. I know they were all gathered to celebrate the receiving of the uh, this this the receiving of the the Torah there on Mount Sinai, this historic event. But today the Holy Spirit shows up. Today the gospel message is proclaimed. Today three thousand people, and the church are is launched. Talk about a historic day, and who's running that show? Holy Spirit's running the show. Let's. Make sure we understand that. But who's he using? Peter. 
Which leads me, as I don't know about you, but it leads me as I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm reading this, this scripture. I look at this and I go, what in the world happened? What happened to Peter? How did Peter go from Peter to Peter? How does he go from this guy who, who can't take his foot out of his mouth, who's constantly speaking first and, 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 and foolishly and not understanding, getting and fumbling around, and, to this guy who gets it? And understands it so much so that not only does he receive it, but he's able to proclaim it to the people that are around him. You know what happened? The sanctifying grace of God transformed him. You see, after this happened, Peter needed a work of God in his life. After these three denials, he goes off. And what does Peter do? Peter goes off and he goes back to what he knows. He stumped. Jesus is gone. He's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. So what does he do? He goes fishing. Not like, well, I'll just go catch it. No, this is, he's going back to the old life that he knew before. And while he's there, if you've ever been fishing, raise your hand if you've ever fished. Okay? If you've ever fished, you know, you do a lot of sitting and thinking, right? Right? I remember going fishing with Larry Kinzel with his kids when we were young. And we went up and we were fishing on this lake up, uh, up in, in Washington. And you know what? We got in this boat and it was a hot, warm day and the water was there. We had our fishing poles and we had our, our bait and everything and we put in there. You know what we did? We sunburned for four hours. It was brilliant. We did a lot of thinking, a lot of contemplating whether or not this was a good idea. We contemplated whether or not there were even fish in this lake. We contemplated how we were going to kill Larry because he didn't give us any sunscreen. You know what I mean? You do a lot of contemplating. And while he was doing this fishing, he had these moments where he had to come to terms with who he was, what he'd done in the past, and what in the world was going to happen with him in the future. This is what he had to do. And in that time as he did this, the Holy Spirit was working in his life. You see, he needed to surrender all of these things to him in order to step into the life that God wanted. The purpose that he created Peter for, what he wanted to do in him, what he wanted to do through him. There were some things that he had to deal with, they had to take care of, that he had to, to, to wrestle with and come to terms with in order for him to do that. And you know what? That sanctifying grace of God is what met him during that time and did a transforming work in his life, a complete and total change of heart. See, for us as Wesleyans, we believe in the sanctifying grace of God. We do. We believe in the sanctifying grace of God. We believe that God works in the lives of believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that was imparted that day of Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit that works in our lives, in and amongst us, and transforms us. And when God sanctifies us, <coughs> he sets us free. He frees us up. We believe that, that he frees us up from the residue and the baggage from the sin that has been in our lives. Because we do, right? Sin leaves this residue. And this baggage that we carry around with us. And this, this, this sanctifying grace allows radical transformation to take place in our lives. For there to be this deep new work that is happening in us. For us to go places and do things that we never thought we'd be able to do. Without the transforming work of God. 
And if you think about it, if anybody could attest to this transformation that can take place, Peter, obviously, right, he can do this. Can you think of somebody else who had a radical transformation? A guy named Paul. You look at Paul in the New Testament. He goes from being the chief, the most, the most intense persecutor, the number one persecutor of Christians, the guy who went and hunt down Christians. He would hunt them down. He would go into their homes. He would find them and drag them into the streets. And in front of his family, they would threaten them with death. And he was going to kill them if they didn't renounce Jesus. This is the intensity. He's holding the coats for people as they're stoning Christians like Stephen. He was at the front lines of persecution of Christianity. And then after this radical transformation, when Jesus shows up and he surrenders his life to him, what happens? He goes from the chief prosecutor of Christians to the greatest proponent. He goes on missionary journey after missionary journey, going to the farthest regions of the world, you know, risking his life and death. And he does give his life to proclaim this gospel. Talk about a radical transformation. This is totally possible. And I love because Paul, who's experienced this, kind of speaks into this a little bit. And that's where we want to kind of start today is if you've got your Bibles, I want you to, to open them up to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your apps, do it on that, on your app. But we're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. It's towards the back of your Bible. It is certainly one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church, to the Thessalonians there. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. If you've got it, why don't you stand up as we read God's word this morning. So what it says. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. It says this. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And then if you look at verse 28, the grace as we're talking about this journey of grace, this grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Lord, today as we look in this word, as we look at your sanctifying grace, may you speak to our hearts. Draw us to you. In your name we pray. Amen. You look at this passage of scripture and here Paul is writing and what does he say? He says, may the God of peace, he says that word peace, that word peace is shalom. Okay, and it's not just talking about peace being the absence of conflict. It is peace being completeness, wholeness. He says, may the God who can make you whole, the God who can make you complete. May that God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. Not sanctify you partly and partly, through and through, all the way, all of you. Not part of you, may he sanctify all of you. May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. Our God is faithful. The Holy Spirit is faithful to do his work in us. He can do this. He can sanctify us and will sanctify our lives. Which then leads us to ask the question, okay, let's make sure we understand what exactly is sanctification. Sanctification, if you look at the Greek word for sanctification, it actually means to make holy. The Greek word hagias means to make holy. 
Now, a lot of us would think about this holy, and we like, I could never be holy. Only Jesus is holy. Yes, but God, Jesus wants to make us holy too. In fact, Jesus says, I want you to be holy just as I am holy. And we look at that verse, and we go, Psh, <laughs> I can't, I can't, can't happen. No, you're right. You can't make that happen. You can't make yourself holy, but God can. The Holy Spirit can make you holy. The Holy Spirit can sanctify you. And when we're talking about sanctifying, making you holy, what are we talking about? To make you set apart. He says, I want you to be set apart. That's what holy is. Holy means to be set apart for a very specific purpose. It means to fully devote yourself, that you take your life and you set it apart, and it's no longer for anything in this world. It's no longer for yourself. Your life is now set apart for his purpose. Remember, we talked about Peter. What did he do with his life? He gave his life, and he was, Jesus comes and says, I'm, your name's Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. You're going, this, this proclamation of the gospel, who you are, I'm going to build this. There's a church that's going to be built about you. How does that happen? I'm set apart now for his purpose in my life, not my own purpose anymore. I'm fully devoted. I'm fully consecrating myself to him. It's when you turn your whole self, as he talked about, spirit, soul, body, over to God. Everything, all of whom I am, it's yours. So what we're doing, really, this, this idea of sanctification, it really comes down to now, this point, it's, it's a deal of sovereignty, right? It's a deal of who's in charge, who's the leader, who's Lord of your life. Are you Lord of your life, or am I Lord of my life? Excuse me, am I Lord of my life, or is he Lord of my life? It, it, it's this power struggle. And we get this, right? We've experienced the saving grace, right? Last week we talked about that, how amazing it is that we are saved and Jesus dies on the cross and rose from grace and we can have forgiveness of our sins and we can experience that saving grace. We are now saved. And so many people, they're like, yes, I'm saved and they celebrate. And then comes the question, right? Well, now what? Like I reached it, right? I'm good. Why am I still making mistakes? Because now we're entering the sanctification. Now we're entering this part where we wrestle with our lives. We wrestle with the old self and going, wait, I, I want to do this new because now all of a sudden I've got these new desires and these new passions and these, these, these new purposes and these new mindset and I've got this new thing, but there's the old part of you, right, that's wrestling with you and you go back and forth and we live in this tension of that. And sanctification is where we wrestling with those things where we eventually come to that place we say, I'm all in. I'm all yours. I am now set apart for you and you alone. It's moving us from saving grace into the sanctifying grace. This grace that makes us holy, that sets us apart. It doesn't make us perfect, by the way. Don't hear that word holy and go, it makes me perfect. I never make ever mistake. That's not what it's saying. What it does is now your mindset, your purpose, your direction, everything that you are is about following what God has for you and that path, not my path. Because we get stuck in our old path, right? We like to go back to our old path. We're like, cool, awesome. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take this Jesus and we're gonna go back to my old life and we're gonna mesh the two. He's like, yeah, no, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I'm gonna give you a new life. We're going to take the old life. The old life's gone. The new life's going to be here. We're going to celebrate that baptism. That's what we do. Under the water is the old life. Bye-bye. You come out of the water. Oh, new life in him. See, a lot of people, we experience this saving grace, and then we go, okay, great. Thank you for saving me. I love that you're my savior. Cool. I'm good now. 
And it's like, I'm done. I'm just going to wait till Jesus comes back. And he's like, no, no, no. This is the beginning of the journey. This is the really good stuff. Can I tell you? You think life has been good? Maybe it's not been good. Maybe life's been terrible. Guess what? If life's been terrible, it's going to be awesome. You think life's been good already to this point? It's going to be even better. But it's going to be mine. It's got to be my purpose, not yours. And so this is our moving of, uh, from salvation to lordship. And sanctifying grace helps us become increasingly like Jesus. Because that's the point of a disciple. The point of a disciple is to come like the teacher. The point of the disciples come like the rabbit. The point of those 12 was to become like Jesus. Guess what he wants us to do? He wants us to become just like Jesus. And you're like, well, I can't do that. Again, remember, it's not about what, I, this isn't our work. No, it's by grace. It's the sanctifying grace makes us more and more and increasingly like Jesus, where our lives start to reflect Jesus. And what happens is this work is being done in our lives. While this happens, what happens is it now frees us to be able to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that what he's commanded us to do, we can actually do it. Why? Because of his sanctifying grace in our life. And what happens is we are in right relationship with God. What then happens is then we can be in right relationship with others. Because now we can take that which God has imparted to us, that love, that grace, that peace, that mercy, all that stuff. And now that's what we reach out to our world with. When we reach out with, to the world with us, it's ugly, isn't it? You watch this. You've seen this. You know this. You may have done this. Like I've seen people that, are, that, that refer to themselves and identify themselves as Christians do things that you go, Jesus would not have done that. That is not Jesus. That's you. That's not Jesus. That's the world. Well, as we are being sanctified, we go through this and experience this sanctifying grace, we start looking more and more so our interactions with others just smacks of Jesus. It smells like Jesus. It feels like Jesus. It sounds like Jesus. And we look at times and we'll look at ourselves and go, where did that come from? That's not how I normally respond. How did patience come out of me? I haven't had patience in, well, shoot, since before COVID. That's, that's the work of the Spirit. That's sanctifying grace at work in our lives. And it changes our heart, the center of who we are. It's not behavior modification. It's heart change. That's what he wants to do in us. That's sanctifying grace at work. So, how do we lean into this sanctifying grace of God? Let's go to Romans. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to Romans. That's where we're going to be at now. Romans chapter 1 and 2. I think Paul says it great. Again, the guy who's experienced this change, this is what he says in Romans 1 and 2. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is what he's calling us to. He says, so this is what I want you to do. Let's look at what, what, what Paul is saying here. What is he really getting at here? I urge brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
offer your bodies. He's saying, I want you to offer. Now we hear this word bodies, right? And what do you really think of? We initially, we think of offer your bodies. Like, okay, so my physical being, this of who I am, I need to offer to him, which means I need to go to the gym. I need to make sure that he eats zucchini. It means that I need to make sure no more ice cream, no chocolate, except for dark chocolate, because that's kind of good for you. And you could do that. And avocados are bombs. So we can still have guac. We're good. Right? We think that. But if you look at the Greek word here that, that Paul is using, it's a very, a very distinct word. This word in Greek is the word soma, which means the whole of a person. So what he's actually saying is, I want you to offer the whole of your person. Does that include your physical? Yeah, it includes your physical. But it also includes your mental, your mind, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything that you have. He's like, I want you to offer all of it to me. I don't want you holding any of it back. I want you to offer it all to God as what? A living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. We think sacrifice, we think dead, right? It's gone. Can't use it anymore. But it's a living sacrifice. I want you to take that life that you are now going to live and sacrifice it, not kill it. I want you to give it to me. I want you to take your life and I want you to offer it me. It's a living sacrifice. And watch and see what I'm going to do it. This is what real worship is about. A lot of times we think worship is that music I play on my, on my radio or the thing that I do for 15 to 20 minutes on a church service. That's worship music. That's worshiping God with our voices. You know what he really wants? Your life. He didn't want you to just come here for 15 minutes and sing. He doesn't want you to come tonight and sing for an hour, hour and a half and pray and spend time in the Word. He doesn't want you just to do that and then go out and live like hell. I want you. This is how this works. I want your life. All of it. Offer it to me. Worship, real worship. He's God, you are worth me giving my life to you in the way that you gave your life for me. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. We live in a world right now, right, where we, we're tempted to conform. There are narratives out there that are being pumped into our minds Every single day, everywhere, radio, TV, just popular culture, TikTok, social media, everywhere you look, YouTube, CNN, Fox, everywhere you go, you have these narratives and these voices are saying, this is what you're supposed to look like. This is how you're supposed to think. And he says, don't conform to the, the pattern of this world. I don't want you to look and smell and act and talk like everybody else. Don't do that. That's what you used to do. Don't go back to the old life. Don't conform to that. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is he saying here to this church in Rome? He's saying to them, transformation is possible. Transformation happens when we offer all of who we are to him, when we are sanctified, when we are set apart and holy for his purpose and his alone. When that happens, we will be transformed. We live in a world right now that also says that you're stuck. Who you are is who you are. Nobody should try to change you, right? You just, you, hey, you do you. I heard one theologian say that's probably the worst advice anybody could ever give anyone ever. Because when you do you, it is ugly, it is broken, it is messed up, it is sinful, it is hurtful, and it's why the world looks the way it does. Because we've got a bunch of people doing them. 
And debt is not what our world needs. The world needs lives that are transformed, that are set apart for God's purpose, that are filled with his love and his grace, that have been transformed in the likeness of Jesus. So we got people out there that are, that are responding under the, the, the guise and, the, and the, the, the title of Christian that are really re- responding like the world. And honestly, it makes us look bad. I don't know about you. Have you ever been watching the news or you watch people doing something and you're like embarrassed? You're like, wow, evangelical church. That's what we are, huh? That's not Jesus. Hey, listen, it's both sides of the coin. It doesn't matter what political party. It doesn't matter if you're conservative, if you're, you're whatever. It doesn't matter where you are. Jesus wants to transform our lives to look like him and him only. That's what he wants. He wants to transform us by the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is and please his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then we're going to know what to do. We're going to get to know, we'll understand what what we're supposed to do in our present. We're also going to know what to do with our future. So how do we lean into this sanctifying grace of God as Paul is unpacking it? The first thing is we need to come to terms with our past, right? It starts with us coming to terms with our past. Our past leaves marks, right? Our past leaves us with baggage. It leaves us with residue. It leads us with wounds and brokenness, doesn't it? That's the potential that our past has in our lives. It has potential. In fact, some of you guys walked in here today and you have open wounds that are still being treated and you still experience the pain from every single time you go come into this place. Some of it is self-inflicted wounds, right? Right? Some of it is self-inflicted. Some of those are things that because of the sins and the choices you made in your past, you now carry those wounds with you and they are just with you. And others, you carry wounds that are in you that you had nothing to do with. But because you live in a world that is broken and in the effects of sin, that sin has created wounds in you. And in order for us to lean into this sanctifying grace, we have to come to terms with our past. Because that past can hold us back, right? That past can keep us from living the life that God wants us to lead. That past can make us a victim where we just stay in that past and we're stuck and we can't go anywhere. In fact, that past then starts making us bitter at God. It makes us bitter at other people. It keeps us from experiencing life and life to the fullest. So we have to come to terms with that. Think about it. If anybody could have held on to his past, Peter could have been like totally wallowing in it, right? He could be like, oh, that time, three times, three. I didn't even just deny him once. It was three stinking times, three times. I could have done it two, and at least then I'd have been under his number. But no, I hit three, three times. Gosh, the the loathing, the anger, the be easy for him to hang out there. And yet we see him emerge from the sanctifying Christ with that behind him. We've got to make sure that we come to the past. We need to, to, to lean into the sanctifying grace. We need to recognize and we need to take our past and we need to consecrate it to him. We need to make it, we need to set that apart. We need to surrender that over to him so that we don't get stuck. 
And then what happens is we free up and that past is gone. Now we, like Peter, we now have the ability to move into our present and into our future. We have the ability to, to move forward into this new life that God has for us. But we've got to take ownership. We've got to identify this. We've got to call it. We have to take responsibility for the sins of our past. We need to recognize the brokenness of the sin of the world that we live in and not place unrealistic expectations. It's not realistic to think that you're going to have a perfect life in an unperfect world. It's impossible. You can't, it just doesn't make sense. It's unrealistic. When people are jerks and idiots and broken and hurtful to you, we should go, yeah, that makes sense. doesn't mean we should be cool with it, like, ah, oh, no problem. Eh, don't worry. It's everybody. No. That's what I'm saying. I'm not dismissing that. But I'm saying we should recognize that. That should make sense to us because it's a broken world. But we need to make sure we do that and we need to be able to move forward, which means there are things like forgiveness. And there are things, by the way, like counseling and therapy and psychologists. All of that is great. Sometimes we need someone else to help us unpackage and see what in the world it is. Sometimes we can't get out of our own past, right? Sometimes we can't even see it. Those are amazing tools. Those are people that God puts in our lives that can really help us. But we got to make sure that we take ownership of it. We, don't, we can't be a victim. Because God made us victorious. Victory is there. But we can't choose to stay there. We have to take that pass. We need to give that over to him. And submit that to him. And offer that to him. Second thing we need to do is we need to come to terms with our present. It means we've got to stop and take a look at what in the world am I doing now? What choices am I making now? Who's Lord of my life now? Who's calling the shots now? Is this me? What things am I doing now? Are, are, am, I, am I sitting in, presently in just in shame because I'm ashamed of some of the things that I've done? Am I sitting in guilt because I, I'm still sitting in that sin and that's my pursuit is still of sin? Presently, is life really just kind of about me? Has pride and ego kicked in? Do I live a life of selfishness, of arrogance, of thinking that I'm God and that I can call the shots and I got this? We need to make sure that we identify where we're at right now. We need to look at our current, what are our biases? What are our prejudices? Are there any, is there anything in us? Is there any narrative? Is there any fear? Is there any self-deceit? Is there anything that is within us that runs contradictory to who God is? Is there anything that is in there that runs contrary to what he is about? We need to stop and take an assessment of where we are at now. We must come to terms with our reluctance to embrace the fullness of what God wants to do in us and through us. Because a lot of times in our present, what happens is, yes, we love you, Jesus, my Savior. Jesus, my Lord? Um, let me think about that. We love that, and we usually come to him for this saving grace that he gives us. And what happens is there's this fullness of what he offers, but we don't trust him that what he offers us in life that he's going to give us is really, the fullness, is really what, what's best for us. So what do we do? We embrace the partialness of his grace, not the fullness. God doesn't want to do a partial work. He wants to do a full work. But it requires all of us, including our presence. It means we have to surrender our reluctance, our hesitation, the things that holding us back. It means we need to surrender any of our allegiances that don't align with him, any idolatry, any idols that, that run counter to his kingdom. We've got to get rid of them. 
And then lastly, we need to do this. We need to come to terms with the future. We need to come to terms with the future. Often we come to Jesus, like I said, talking about this salvation. And we, we, do, we say, okay, God, here we go. Here's my life. Thank you for saving me. Here you go. I, I, want, you to, I want you to write the rest of this story of my life is going to be penned by you. And then we keep hold of the pen. Just in case. You never know. I might need to edit a few things. I might want to write a chapter or two on my own. And Jesus is like, wait, wait a second, wait a second. Do you have the pen or do I have the pen? Well, we can share the pen. And he goes, it doesn't work that way. Either you hold it or I, there's only one pen. Are you writing the story of your life or am I writing the story? See, come to terms with our future means I take that pen and I say, okay, it's yours. I'm not going to try to write my own chapters. I'm not even going to edit. Here we go. We need to embrace this sanctifying grace. It means we hand over that pen where he's now the one that scripts the rest of our story, that he's the one that we take our cues from, that he is the one now that we allow to form us and transform us into who he's intended us to be. It's a beautiful reset. He becomes not only our savior, but he becomes Lord of our lives. And we move from that saving grace into that sanctifying grace. Listen, honestly coming to terms with our past, present, and future will lead us into God's sanctifying grace. As we wrestle and grapple with, okay, so what do I have things in my past that I need to surrender over? Are there things in my present that I need to consecrate and give to you? Are there things in my future? Am I been holding on to my own future? Do I need to, what is it that I need to let go of and turn over to you? When we wrestle with those things like that, what happens is we step into this sanctifying grace and the transformation begins. Because God wants to do a deep work in our lives. Some of us have been in church for a long time and we're like, eh, it's never really been that deep. There was that moment of salvation though, that day at the altar, I can tell you what was going on. What's happened since? Well, I got married. You know, I got a job and this and bills and I got, you know, maybe some grandkids now. Oh, no, what's God been doing? What's he doing? I don't know. I've just been, you know, I, just, I love church. and no, God wants to do a deep, significant work in and through our lives. And sanctifying grace allows that to happen. It launches holiness and grace and sanctification into our lives. Sanctifying grace takes me from focusing on my will and establishing my kingdom to surrendering to his will and establishing his kingdom. It's a subtle, it's a shift from who's writing the story, who's holding the pen, who's Lord of my life, me or him. I want to close. The band's going to come now. We are going to sing one more song. And as the band comes out, I just want you to think about this. This is where we're at today. As we've been going through this journey of grace and processing through this, I really want us to do this. Hey, could you do me a favor? Danny, could you, could you put it over there, but kind of pop it out so they, the people in the audience can still see? That'd be epic. Thanks. It takes us being able to look at this. Is there something that we need to concentrate? It consecrate. Is there something you need to surrender? Is there something that you need to turn over to God today? As we're in this journey of grace, right? We've moved from this prevenient grace 
that is there that was working all the way before us. We've got, we've got to the seeking grace that was pursuing us, always meeting us where we're at. We experience this saving grace. We've been set free from the, the guilt and the punishment of sin and death. But now, oh, now comes the fun. Now is the adventure. Now, he says, now let me show you life. But what I want to do is I want to take that old life. I want to get rid of it. The old will go and the new will be here. What is it the old that needs to go today? That's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song. And as we come, I want you to know, these altars are open. And I want you to come to terms with, I encourage you, I implore you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, if you want to go King James, to come to terms, to wrestle with your past, your present. If you, is there something that is keeping you, holding you back? Is there a pen that is still in your hand? that you need to give to the Lord today. As the band comes, I invite you to come. Let us kneel before God. Let us surrender. Let us consecrate our lives. Let us step into the sanctifying grace of God. And oh, just watch what he can do. Let's sing this song. And as we sing this song, I invite you to come. Let's come. And let's consecrate ourselves before the Lord. Cedric.